It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Figuring out exactly where I belong has been my greatest reckoning. Every role I've played, I've had to sort of ignore certain parts of myself or contort to fit this other image. And I really try to make it my goal every day to step on stage and bring everything that I am because I really believe that I can. The other side of that, which I've only really experienced playing Jasmine, is meeting kids and their parents who are mixed and them saying, my kid has never had someone to look up to. And now you get to be that person for them. And, and they can be any mixture of things, you know? And so that's the other side. It's like we're creating space for other people to see themselves as well. I'm Sonia Balsara, and I'm a modern minority. Hi, my name is Don Daryl Rivera, and I'm a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Sonia Balsara and Don Daryl Rivera from Aladdin the Musical on Broadway. I really enjoyed speaking to these two folks. Sonia plays Jasmine, who I've always loved since I saw the original Disney animated film in 1992, which is crazy. I didn't realize um, it had come out so long ago because I... I still remember all of the songs and sing them all of the time in my mind. And Don Darrow Rivera, or DDR as we fondly call him throughout our conversation, plays Iago um, on Broadway. And he's been in that role for over 10 years, which I find to be quite amazing um, and truly incredible. The three of us chatted a lot, not only about their roles on stage, which is probably how some of you may have seen them yourself or have heard of them, but really about their journey each of their journeys to getting to where they are today. They both have such a deep love for what they do every single day on stage, but they also have had their own experiences and challenges and of course successes with getting to where they are. Sonia talks to us about her biracial backgrounds and what that was like growing up and 
really trying to find a place where she belonged, but also being able to now portray a character that she feels truly represents who she is. And DDR has had such a such a interesting background from everything from dance to other types of musical theater. He's he's been doing this since he was a child. Brings such a unique point of view and, and such a passion to the art as well as the role. One of my favorite parts in our conversation was when the two of them were just kind of talking a lot about um, their own experiences working together. And they have, they've just got such a nice relationship with one another. They have so much respect for each other as colleagues and professionals. And I just really enjoyed speaking to Jasmine and and Iago, uh, both in fantasy, but also in real life. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Sonia Balsara and Don Daryl Rivera from the Disney cast of Aladdin on Broadway. Well, Don and Sonia, it's great to have you here today. Thank you for joining me on Modern Minorities. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. And it's it's rare that I get to talk to two stars together. So I'm feeling quite honored today. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people who are listening know who you guys are. They may have even seen you themselves in person. And I'd love to just know a little bit about each of you. So Sonia, where are you from originally? I was actually born in New York, but I grew up in the Bay Area in California. Where in New York were you born? Uh, I lived in Brooklyn until I was five. That's amazing. I'm a native New Yorker too. So I was born and raised downtown Manhattan, lived there almost like literally for like almost 40 years, a long, long, long time, and then moved out to LA and made my way back to New York. So I live I live in upstate Buffalo. I mean, I live in, in Buffalo, New York now. I couldn't stay away from the East Coast. Yeah. New York is is singular. Yeah. Nothing like it. Yeah. And it must it probably feels good to be home again, huh? Totally. I actually live two blocks from my first school. Oh my gosh. Really? Yeah. And I went to vote there for when I when I voted in this last local election, I voted in my first yeah, like elementary school gym, which is so weird. That's so weird. Did you go into the bathrooms <laughs> no. to look at the little toilets? <laughs> no, I should have done that. That's you have to do that. Yes. <laughs> when I, I whenever I walk into like my when like when I visited my old elementary school, like because you just forget it all seems like a normal size when you're that age, and then you go back and you're like, oh my gosh, I was only three feet tall or whatever. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. So Sonia, you're from Brooklyn moved out to the Bay Area. Do you ever get asked, where are you really from? Yes. <laughs> and it's such a loaded question. And well, I guess the way I would answer it is by saying that my dad is is from India mm-hmm. and he is mixed in his own right there. So he's Parsi and Hindu. Mm-hmm. And then my mom is white American, you know, European mutt. Right. And they met in New York? Yeah, they met in college. Oh, that's really romantic. And then they stayed. <laughs> yep. They had you. That's yep. amazing. <laughs> and Don. Yes. Um, where are you from? Uh, I grew up, uh, I was born and raised in Seattle, Washington. Okay. Lots of sunshine there, I hear. Um, sometimes. <laughs> uh, usually it's a little rainy, a little gray. Um, but we do get some really beautiful sunshine in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, the coffee is so great oh, there. It's the best too. And 
I just remember I took a road trip from, I think it was Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. over to Seattle and just the most amazing sand dunes. Oh my gosh. Between those two cities, right? It really like, is just incredible. so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that must have been a great place to grow up. Oh, it, I mean, like growing up in the city and then having nature like literally 20 minutes away, mountains and lakes, it like, right. it was the best. Yeah. That's amazing. And then do you ever get asked where are you really from? I do, but people yeah. usually pinpoint me pretty quickly. Um, they're, they're usually like, oh, you're Filipino, right? And uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I lived in Brooklyn, when I first moved to New York, mm-hmm. um, I lived in Sunset Park. And so the people in my neighborhood were mostly Chinese or Dominican. And so the Dominican mm-hmm. people thought I was Dominican and the Chinese people thought I was Chinese, which I thought was really interesting. Right. But yeah, I usually get pinpointed for Filipino very, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, there's just you just have that signature look, I guess. I do, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's funny. So, how long have you been living in New York? I moved to New York with the opening of Aladdin. So, okay. uh, I moved here in September of 2023. So, I've been here for 10 years. Mm-hmm. My wife and I, we did what I think a lot of people in successful Broadway shows do. We had a family, and we moved to New Jersey. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, exactly. You have a family, you leave the city, yeah, right? Yeah. And then you just kind of go back for work when you need to. And exactly. in your case, I guess now it's like every day that you've got to be day. back. Yeah, six days a every week. Every single day. Bad. Yes, exactly. That's so great. So I guess I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take each of you separately because you didn't grow up in the same cities. But Sonia, what was it like for you? Did most of your childhood, was it in Brooklyn or was it in the Bay Area? It was, it was mostly in the Bay Area, but because I moved okay. at such a young age, I like really remember both very vividly. Yeah. Yeah. And in the Bay Area, I mean, the Bay Area is pretty diverse and there's a lot of, you know, just so many different lifestyles and and things like that. What was your, what was the neighborhood like? Like what kind of community did you grow up in? You know, it it was actually extremely diverse. Mm -hmm. I felt, I never felt like I really stood out being mixed. And most of my friends growing up were also mixed. Like I look back and and it's not even the same mixture as me. It's like one of my best friends was half German, half Japanese. And one of my friends was mm-hmm. half like Egyptian, half Greek. Like it was like we all sort of found each other. And I, I actually, you know, I, I have this very visceral memory of being a little kid in Brooklyn. And my first experience or like my first time, like, really looking at my skin and looking at how I had different features than people. It was at, you know, at school, I was like, I remember coming home one day after school and I went to my dad and I was like, Papa, there's like black kids at school and there's white kids at school and I don't know what I am. And he was mm. like, we're, we're brown. You're brown. <laughs> that was a, a helpful distinction. And it was tricky. It's tricky because like, you know, especially as a young girl, you like you turn to images for beauty standards and things like that. And it's like I would look at Barbies and I would look at my mom, who is right. this like beautiful, translucent skinned woman. And she's like, you know, I looked up to her. She was everything to me. And I was like, why don't I look like my mom? You know, that's a very sort of strange thing to to think and feel growing up in your own home, too. Yeah. Did you ever want to look more like your mom? Yeah. 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 Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, it's sort of sad when you think about it, but I've like found old journal entries of mine where I'm like, 
I'm trying to stay out of the sun. I don't like when my, like, you know, things like that, that I didn't think about at all as a little kid, but. Right. Yeah. Because mom was probably, I'm guessing mom was blonde and had fair skin. She has, she has brown hair, but okay. her skin is, she's, she's like Snow White. <laughs> yeah. 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 Got it. Yeah. It's interesting, right? It's just kind of like, um, growing up, I guess, with, as an Asian girl at the time and also watching television or opening up a magazine and no one looked at, like me back then. Nowadays, like, you know, everywhere, Crazy Rich Asians or well, the Oscar awards, you know, all of those things. But those were not available to folks like us way back when. And and I remember myself too wanting blonde highlights in mm-hmm. my hair, you know, like before the 90s, before it was cool, like <laughs> before it was a trend. And just thinking that like my hair could actually get that light for some reason, like I just kind of believed it because that's what I saw in the media. So yeah, I, I hear that. In I a used really, to put yeah. lemon in my hair because <laughs> I wasn't mm-hmm. allowed to dye my hair. Yep. I wasn't allowed to do any, like, I wasn't allowed to wear makeup. I wasn't, and I would secretly put lemon in my hair and it didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so with your group of mixed race friends, like, what were those conversations like? Or like, what was lunchtime like? Or when you went over to their houses, like, were things same or different for you as you got, as you kind of got to know their blended cultures as well? It's just interesting how, because we never, I never really thought about it. I, I was just drawn to people, I think, that had a like bicultural identity or a multicultural identity. And I had one of my friends specifically, she and I have like done traveling together and stuff. We would always bond over being like this weird term of ethnically ambiguous. Hmm. People would look at us and she's Japanese and, and white and was like, and peop- and I'm Indian and white and people would think we're like Latina all the time growing up in Northern California. Right. Kind of similar to what you're saying, DDR. And it's funny. I think people always want to see, people want to see themselves reflected back at them. And so I think that that's oftentimes what that is, is people wanting to form community and feel like we all belong together, but it can actually isolate you yeah. to have someone box you in something that you're simply not. And then you don't feel like you belong in your actual box. And so there's that. And also really like, especially being a woman, I'm sure you've experienced this, is the exoticism of being Asian and being, and for me, it's like that ambiguous looking thing. It's like, we don't know what you are and we love that. And I'm like, but I know what I am and we can talk about it. Like, <laughs> Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we, and I totally bonded with my friends over that at a young age. And whether it was like, we would have a conversation about it or we could just sit and be in that. Hmm. And did it, I'm assuming it sounds like it helped that you had a group of friends that had that thing in common where you were, you were a mix of two different cultures and kind of could be anything and everything. And that's kind of what made you unique. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's great. And then DDR where, you know, everyone knew you were Filipino for the most part. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what was your childhood like? Like, were you in a community where everyone did look like you or were you one of very few? I, I wouldn't say I was one of very few. Um, there were actually quite a few Filipinos at my school. I feel like we were probably the majority of the minority, Okay, uh, but it was a pre- predominantly white school. I went to Catholic school for 13 years, uh, kindergarten mm-hmm. through my senior year. And uh, I was actually pretty lucky because 
of the amount of Filipinos that we had at our school. When I was young, my dad decided to kind of co-found a Filipino folk dance group at my oh. at my school, at my church. Wow, that's so cool. And so we we brought our culture to each other through dance and song. And mm-hmm. um, we would perform at festivals and uh, kind of at like church functions. And then my friends who weren't Filipino also wanted to join. And of course, like we were like, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we had a lot of different races performing, you know, the bamboo dance, the tinikling, like, and that was, that was really awesome. So, um, and that, that dance group is still around. My, my folks are no longer involved, but yeah, it it was kind of cool that we were able to bring people together through Filipino folk dance. That's great. Was your dad a trained dancer or how did he? (laughs) Okay. I mean, you know, he, he encouraged me to like play soccer and uh, be on the basketball team and play volleyball. But at the same yeah. time, like learn about my culture through Filipino folk dance. My mom encouraged mm-hmm. me to learn Filipino songs. So, you know, I had like my, my dance card was really full with very many varying things every, every week. As you're growing as up. As I was yeah. growing up. But yeah. one of my, my ninongs or my, my, one of my godfathers uh, is actually a trained uh, Filipino folk dancer. It's very cool. What did you want to be when you grew up? That's a great question. I knew that I wanted to be some type of performer. Okay. I started singing and then I started mm-hmm. dancing. And then I actually moved into a hip hop dance group uh, with the University of Washington when I was still in eighth grade. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of Filipinos from my community that were a part of that dance group. Um, and they liked to infuse hip hop dance with Filipino folk dance. So we mm-hmm. would do the bamboo dance to Busta Rhymes instead of like so cool. uh, mandolins <laughs> and mandalias, you know? Yeah. DDR, I need to see this tonight. I have videos. Yeah. I yeah. absolutely have videos. Yeah. I will bring them to you at the theater today. <laughs> I had I had the middle no, part want, and everything. Oh, you want to see it? See I it. want a live. She wants to see it in person. She wants a live performance. DDR. Live performance. <laughs> my, my body is much different now that I'm almost 40 than when I was 13. So it might take a second, but I think I can make it. <laughs> yeah, so like I, I thought maybe a dancer, maybe a mm-hmm. singer, but it wasn't until high school that I discovered um, my love of acting. Interesting. Yeah, I was a magician at one point also. You were? I was. I would perform at birthday parties and like corporate events. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So there were many things in the in the kind of the performing arts, but uh, I definitely landed in acting. And of course, yeah. you know, my my parents, they both worked for the University of Washington and I told them, like, I, I want to go to a conservatory. I want to go to mm-hmm. a conservatory in Seattle. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, we both work for the University of Washington. Like, we could make that happen for you. Um, and I said, no, I think this is what I want to do. And I wasn't a very good student. I'll, I'll totally admit to that. Right. Kind of like through high school. And when I went to conservatory, I did the best academically I'd ever done in my entire life. Wow. Because I think I was so passionate about the content, about. Yeah my teachers. And so uh, when they saw that, they were like, all right, you're on the right path. Yeah. Yeah. Did mom and dad ever try to dissuade you from the life of entertainment? I mean, you know, there was that kind of question of like, oh, when are you, you going to get a job? Yeah, um, right. Even though, you know, I was working and Seattle is a, um, it has a ton of theater. It's a great theater scene. Mm-hmm. But um, it's kind of hard to work 52, 50 weeks a year doing right. just theater. Mm-hmm. And I was averaging about 40 weeks a year. So 
I, I thought I was doing pretty well. And there was still yeah. that question. Um, because of course, like your parents don't want to see you struggle, especially like being a minority in America. Yep. yep. But uh, I, I made it happen for myself. And then when I got to Broadway, that question kind of stopped. <laughs> Isn't that funny about, well, so yeah, I want to hear about your story too. But like in order for, for most minority parents to accept that, that you're going to pursue your passion and be successful, you have to like hit the highest bar. Like it wasn't good enough that you were in maybe regional theater, if that's what you were doing before this, mm -hmm. right? For some period of time, it wasn't good enough that you had gotten, that you were consistently paying your bills. You had to make it to Broadway DDR right. in order for them to be like, right. okay. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's going to be yeah, fine now. Of course now. my son. Yeah. yeah, of course my son's doing well. Of course. And it wasn't we like they weren't the proud. Time. Right, exactly. They were right. just like, they they just didn't want to see me, you know, auditioning literally every every week trying to fill my entire year full of, of theater projects. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Crazy. Well, they must be so proud. And I definitely, yeah, I think I want to hear what Sonia's and then I definitely want to go back to like first time mom and dad saw you guys on stage because I bet that was probably epic. But how about you, Sonia? What did, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? I went through so many phases. I wanted to be an <laughs> astronaut for a while. <laughs> that was my nice. first. I think I want to just bounce on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> I still do. <laughs> um, and I wanted to be a teacher. Like I wanted to, I would always, I had a fake little white, not a fake, it was a mini, mm -hmm. mini whiteboard. And I would like put my stuffed animals out and like teach lessons. I always wanted to be a teacher. But no, I, I also, I loved movies and I loved theater. My first Broadway show was a Disney show, was Beauty and the Beast. I just like oh. fell in love with, yeah. you know, you go to the theater and you're just like, you can picture yourself up there and there's this palpable, magnetic energy and you just want to be a part of it and <laughs> I saw like a local production of Oklahoma in the Bay Area and went to the videotape store which they, those don't exist anymore which is so sad right I know got the the movie version and paused and played the movie for like every day after recent after school and wrote a script and then held auditions and like cast it and start in it and put it up in my living room. <laughs> and that's, I think when my parents were like, oh, <laughs> we're screwed. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's obsessed. <laughs> There's no turning back. There's no turning back. And my dad was, yeah. I think the moment too that it became very serious was it was like 5.45 in the morning. My dad was like driving me to AP Bio Lab before school started. And I don't know why he did. I've told, I've said this to him and he's like, I can't believe I did this to you. But he's like, you know, you're a sophomore in high school. You should really be figuring out what you want to do with the rest of your life. Oh, my goodness. And he's <laughs> like, really, you know, you you have to be thinking about college applications, like what you want to do. And I remember sort of thinking if I don't try doing theater or going into acting, I will regret it forever. Yeah. And Unlike a lot of the, like the stereotypes around brown parents, my my dad and and my mom. My mom's a professional classical singer, so that was sort of covered. But my dad's a professor of chemical engineering at UC Berkeley, so he's you know right. on the other yeah. end of the spectrum. But he was always so supportive. He was just like, if you do this, you have to really do it, like really mm -hmm. go for it. Don't leave anything on the table. That's always his. That was his quote for me: never leave anything on the table you know, you really go for it, go try to get into the best program you can possibly get into. And 
yeah, I've had, I've really had undying support from my parents and I could cry about it. It's, it's the greatest gift. That sounds so wonderful. I just got goosebumps <laughs> with you saying that. Like, don't leave anything on the table. Yeah. It's so great. Are you, are you an only child or do you have siblings? I have a younger brother. Okay. And did he follow in your footsteps too? Is he also performing and singing and all. dancing? And, Not no. at all. <laughs> Is he an engineer? <laughs> no. <laughs> he's at SF State right now and he's studying to potentially be a physical therapist. Got it. But he's 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 had a he's figuring out his he never knew actually what he wanted to do. And it was always a lot of pressure on him from my parents who have been so focused, and then me who's always been so focused. And I think that his has been more of an explorative route. And in some ways I think it's better to do that because then you're evolving as you figure it out versus you make this decision when you're 15. <laughs> I mean, it right, worked out for right. me, but like it, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. So. Yeah. And sometimes it's also birth order, right? Like, so you're the oldest. Yeah. I'm guessing from what you just yes. said. Yeah. So it's like, you're the first child and the expectations are super high. And then, you know, he's the second child and he gets to, he gets a little more freedom. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah, that's kind of how it goes. <laughs> Yeah. He gets to make all the mistakes and like, you know, and your parents are like, oh, he'll, he'll, he'll figure it out yeah. <laughs> in one way or another. Exactly. Do you guys remember the first time you saw Aladdin? The movie? The movie? Yeah. I do. Yeah. Tell me about it. Where, how old were you and where were you? Oh, gosh. How old was I in 1991? Was I seven? Is that right? Uh-huh. Or eight? My dad actually brought me to Sam Goody. Do you remember Sam Goody? Yes. And I bought the cassette tape of Aladdin. <laughs> Um, and I listened to it before I watched the movie. Wow. And it actually had the original lyrics for Arabian Nights, which are very controversial now. Mm-hmm. And I remember listening to it and listening to it. And then we actually saw the movie in the movie theater. And I was so blown away because computer generated animation was so very new, but it looked so cool. Yeah. Um, and I remember even when Aladdin flew around the, the, Cave of Wonders as it was collapsing and all the lava and everything with all the the CGI. It was so, I I remember it so vividly. Yeah, I'm trying to remember like my own experience with that. But yeah, I do remember. Yeah, it was just like a totally different way of of the way the animation looked at the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And how about you, Sonia? Do you remember your first Aladdin experience? I can't say I remember the first time I watched it, but I watched it all the time as a kid. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, the music's so great. It's so fun. Um, and at that time, I just, I have this vision, like this memory, I think, of being maybe in first grade watching it with some of my best friends who at the time were, I was like in, <laughs> I moved to the Barry and got in with like the Persian crew because mm-hmm. I didn't have an Indian crew. So that was like the next, maybe a weird thing to the say. The next closest. But, but also like I am technically also Persian. Mm. So I don't speak Farsi or I mean, yeah, but, and I am culturally Indian, but my, my genetics are also from, but they're Persian. So I felt always connected. And I remember when, you know, all these movies are so based in a cult, like, you know, I think that, I think Beauty and the Beast is Paris, right? And you right, sort of, right. I think I actually had a Disney globe that showed where on the map all the stories oh, were that's from. Oh, cool. That's yeah. super cool. 
Wow. And I and I kind of remember Jasmine and Aladdin being over like it, where Iran and India are for the most part. And I was, I was like, which is it? And my dad was like, it's more Iran than because it's more Arab. But I I always was able to sort of claim it because it was the closest thing that I had to a story that reflected people that were of my ethnic and cultural background, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and you found yourself watching it over and over and singing the songs. And- oh my God. Yeah. And and there was yeah. a, I had a book of it. I that's actually my visceral memory is this like giant book of the whole movie with all of the pictures and just mesmerized with the images from that from that animation. Yeah. I remember I really just wanted Jasmine's outfit. Like the blue. <laughs> Totally. Outfit. I couldn't I couldn't admit that I wanted to wear it. That was the thing. Right. Because it was like too revealing for like six-year-old me to, to tell my true. parents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't yeah. think about that. Cause because like the mid like her her belly shows, right? And yeah. The, yeah. And I wasn't allowed to like outfit. show my belly button back then. So right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess you were you guys were both very lucky in that you had parents that supported your dreams of going into acting and singing and performing. When did you get to a point and maybe, and and I'm assuming you're there because you guys to me have made it, but when did you get to a point where you started to feel like, you know, this is, this is where I belong. Like I've, I'm on my path. I'm doing something I love and I'm in the right place. Did you have a moment when that just clicked for you? Yeah. I, I feel like I've had, I've been very lucky in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've played a lot of characters who don't look like me traditionally. Like yeah. I did a lot of children's theater and I played characters like Harold from Harold and the Purple Crayon and Joshua Prim from Lyle Lyle Crocodile, who in the books is blonde and I'm not. Yeah. And the kids in the audience never questioned me for a second. Hmm. And I thought, this is it. I, I'm able to just be Don Daryl Rivera, the actor, I don't, I, I can be anyone. And that was kind of a, a, a real boost of confidence for me as, a, as an actor, which then led me to going into auditions, sometimes aware of what I looked like because I didn't look like everyone else in the room. And I would go in with the idea of, I call it the wild card theory, because they called me in because they're not sure where they want to put me. But then I give them mm-hmm. the thought of, well, let me show you why this character looks like me. Hmm. Yeah. Instead of me fitting into the character, let me show you why that character looks like me. Yeah. And so that was it. It was, it was Seattle Children's Theater that, that I knew I could, I could do it. Wow. That's, that's really inspiring. I have tears in my eyes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's really inspiring because I would imagine that so many of us have been on the complete opposite side of that, right? Where we walk into a room and we feel like we have to conform to an idea or an image or I'm getting choked up. I mean, that's why I sound like this. Like this is, that's so beautiful. And, and at such a young age for you to have felt that so deeply, I think is, it's, it's a gift and it's a beautiful thing. And I'm personally grateful that you, you have had that experience because now you've been able to bring yourself into into many roles for being truly who you are. So that's so great. Thank you. How about you, Sonia? 
You know, the word belonging is, I feel like sometimes my life's mission is to to just trust that I belong because I think I was born in a different place than I really grew up in. I have two different I have parents from from different places with different cultures and and different I mean they they have a lot of shared values but like I feel like figuring out exactly where I belong has been my greatest reckoning yeah and every every role I've played I've had to sort of I have felt like I've had to ignore certain parts of myself or contort to fit this other image and I really try to make it my goal every day to step on stage as Jasmine and bring everything that I am because I really believe that I can. Yeah. And I think it's the only role I've ever been able to own all parts of my identity. That has been an amazing experience, but I still I still struggle with it. I still am like am I enough as what I am to do this and I think I'm always going to I'm always going to battle that little voice in my head that's telling me I'm not. Because the thing is there's never unless someone writes a character that is exactly what I am, it's going to be yeah. which actually did happen. I worked on I worked on the Karate Kid and I was in the reading of it when it was sort of nondescript and then after the pandemic it came back and we workshopped it and I got a call from the producer and he's like we're making the girlfriend character, Allie, uh, half Indian, half white. And it was like game changing, actually, now that I think about it. But yeah, I think it, it but even that it's like, it's, I don't know. I, I, I have so many uh, voices in my head that are always challenging my, my right to, to belong in any space. Yeah. Unpack that a little bit for us. So the game-changingness of having a character that's just like you, what specifically, how, how does that speak to you? Or, 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 I mean, I can understand the significance of it, but like, what, what does that mean to you in particular? I think that it means that I can fully take up space. Yeah. You know, I, in, in the end, I, after we did the workshop, I got a call that I wasn't moving forward with the project and that was like a gut punch. Mm. But, it, you know, it's part of this industry and it was a great lesson for me and really valuable experience to have. And it led ultimately to me fighting further and then booking this and landing this amazing job playing Jasmine. Right. Just the story of like, you have to just keep going. But I think that, so I mean, it's, it's, it's multi-layered. There's, yeah, that deep knowing that I'm, ex- I'm exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. And I can bring my story to this too. Right. Um, and I felt such openness. And because we were like still in the script, we were like rewriting words. And, you know, if it ever does make it to Broadway someday, I might be like, I wrote that line. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then I felt like right. I had a voice and which was a really, really amazing experience to be like, here's me. And then here's this character who I can completely vouch for. Yeah. And completely understand her experience. And then the other side of that, which I've only really experienced playing Jasmine, is meeting young kids at stage door. And it's always wonderful to meet every single person that comes to meet us as actors. And 
to express their gratitude and how they felt about the show. But I've had a lot of wonderful experiences meeting kids and their parents who are mixed and them saying, my kid has never had someone to look up to. Yeah. And now you get to be that person for them and they can now, and, and they can be any mixture of things, you know? Right. And so that's, that's the other side. It's like, we're creating space for other people to see themselves as well. Yeah, absolutely. And in that vein too, I think, you know, the two of you guys are, are bringing such a truthful and diverse perspective of truly lived experiences onto the stage. You know, I've, my, my acting experience is like maybe in fifth grade, I had like a role. <laughs> so it's definitely not deep and wide as yours. My husband's an actor though, and he's, you know, he's done some theater and he's done some other things. But as someone who really enjoys watching folks truly embody a character, I think that there's, as you're saying, Sonia, there's a level of truth that goes into it that really kind of, that lights up an entire performance or an entire an entire experience when it can come from that truthful place. And so having more characters that are genuinely more like us or or for us to be creating those opportunities for others is a really big part of of the opportunity here. And I think you guys are it's great that you guys are are actually, you know, doing it as we speak. And I think that's great. What parts of your characters do you think are the most like you? So like DDR are you and Iago identical in any way in real life oh yeah my <laughs> my my favorite thing to say about iago and uh p- professionally playing a, a disney villain sidekick is that i i am the youngest i grew up with an older sister so mm-hmm. i i trained to be a disney villain my entire life because <laughs> you know i just terrorized my my poor older sister yeah so i i think i think the plotting and and the uh the living on a on a, a larger scale to get the attention. Um, that's definitely that's signature DDR acting. I love that. So that's the truth you're bringing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's uh, it's not. I guess it's not so deep, but um, right. yeah, it's there. Right. That's great. And and how are Jasmine and and you identical, Sonia? I'd say we're we're one and the same in many ways. I'm not a princess, obviously, and I was not raised to be a princess. Uh, so mm-hmm. in that regard, I, I don't relate. But besides that, she's adventurous and she's, I love that she challenges the world around her and she's not afraid to be the outspoken woman in the room. I think that is incredible. And and I think she's also really kind. Mm-hmm. I think she leads with with kindness and with her heart and with truth. And that's something I always, always try to do. Yeah. Can I add something? Sure. So, you know, being in the show for 10 years now, when Sonia joined our, our company, mm-hmm. Jasmine really, there, there was a ferocity and a, and, a, and a curiousness that had not been brought to the table before. And it's something that I really admire in Sonia's performance, that, that genuine looking and questioning and searching for knowledge and truth that is really it's it's really quite a beautiful color to to Sonia's jasmine. Oh my gosh, thank you. Sonia, are you crying yet? Cuz I am. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> well, it's funny because 
Don Daryl and I mess around a lot. What do you mean? Don't say that on. (laughs) Now they have it on tape, Sonia. (laughs) There's a moment. Wait, can I spill the beans? Yes, absolutely. Please. I I, I want you to. Yes. There's a moment. before, So I get like I come on stage and I'm listening to Aladdin talk about how how great he is. And I like throw it at him. Basically, it's right before I enter for that scene. So I enter kind of like. Well, I do actually, I, you're right, I enter curious and then I get upset. But right before I go on, I can see Don Daryl on the other side of the stage and we make eye contact and I make a face. I make, oh, yeah. an, or I do like a gesture. <laughs> I'll, I don't know. I'll make some, whatever gesture I'm in the mood to do that day. And he'll somehow in character, totally still in the scene, mimic what I'm doing off stage. so funny. Yeah. And sometimes he'll catch me off guard if I like forgot that to do it. I'll be like fixing my earrings or my hair and then he'll start he'll <laughs> doing and, the same thing. Yeah, it's um my one of my favorite backstage moments. Absolutely. And just really quickly, like the point is to not get caught. So right. you have to use your the acting skills that both both Sonia and I have to justify. <laughs> <laughs> the, the kind of um, shenanigans that, that we get ourselves into. <laughs> but all this to say, <laughs> I feel I, I'm honored that, you know, that you watch me sometimes because I I watch everything. Well, especially when I when I was learning the show and I was watching from the audience. Don, you are a master of comedy and oh my comic gosh. timing and physical comedy. I mean, it is a masterclass to watch to watch you. Oh, you're so sweet. When you pull out that violin, <laughs> I <laughs> spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> I'm breaking all the rules. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a treat to to watch you and and it's an honor to work with you on stage every day. Oh night. my gosh, you're so sweet. Well, listen, like we're all part of the greater good, right? It's not just about us. Yeah. We're all there as a company to tell a beautiful story and to tell it truthfully, you know, and with, and with like theater being so live and organic uh, and having any recipe of people on stage, like it takes a huge amount of skill. And, and I'm so grateful to Disney that they, they trust all of us to, to come together to tell our story. Absolutely. You guys are, you guys are so, so sweet. Like I, I, <laughs> I haven't gotten to see this yet, but I, I will. And I feel like when I do that and I see DDR doing the running man for no good reason, and then you come out, Sonia, I'm going to be like, oh, I know. I'll, I, I understand totally it. what just happened back there. I'll, I'll, I'll make it work. I'll make it work. No, don't worry. I'll be like, I know this is a little sick. No, I'm, no, I'm tuned into it. So great. If we were to turn back the clock to when both of you were, were young, little youngins, What's what's a piece of advice that you would tell yourself? Ooh. Don't wait for the world to show you you're different. Show them you're different. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I feel like it's mine is simple, but it's just to trust yourself. I think like I, I look back at my like early years, especially in elementary school, and I, I think I was, I was super independent. I was always doing my own thing. Mm-hmm. And and I think getting older, you know, you start to think and you start to look at the world from other people's perspectives. And I think I would just want to remind myself that your perspective matters and is valid and you don't need to compare yourself to the way you imagine other people see the world too. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, obviously have empathy, but I think that sometimes that would drag me far from the intrinsic like trust and truth I had within myself. Yeah. Both great, great, great advice. So we've covered so much. We've talked about everything from, you know, growing up and feeling like we looked a little bit different to finding our paths and and we even got some behind the scenes tips <laughs> from you guys. Are you guys ready to go into speed round? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So we always say that's the wrong answer because no one's ever ready. But let's see. Let's see. Let's see what happens. And we could take this in turn. So Didi, you first. What's one thing about you no one expects? A, a level of seriousness. What? Yeah. I think I look like a joke. <laughs> and not like in a bad way. But I feel like I look like a cartoon and I, I, I feel like when when I when I sit down and, and um, bring the honesty and truth, um, especially to my craft, I think people are really surprised. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Sonia? What's one thing about you no one expects? I think people think that like I have it all together and I'm totally a mess. <laughs> I <laughs> like like my mind is a crazy maze that I'm just trying to like sort through constantly. Maybe I revealed that on this podcast, actually. But I think that in the world, people think that like because I'm super organized and I, I I think I give off this like appearance of balance and it is just mm -hmm. simply not. <laughs> you're, so you're like you're like the swan on the top of the, the pond, right? And you're just kind of like pedaling. Yeah, as fast exactly. as you can, but you, you appear to be gliding very gracefully. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's great. Next one's for you, Sonia. Recommend a book, movie, or television show. Can't you can't say Aladdin with <laughs> characters that you relate to? <gasps> oh, well, the first book that popped into my head was Braiding Sweetgrass because I think it's my favorite book mm. that I've read in the last two years. I would say. What's it about? It's it's nonfiction mm -hmm. and it's about it's all about the natural world and it's about it's from the perspective of this indigenous scientist who lives upstate and she's talks about her relationship with the earth and how it should be reciprocal. And it totally changed my relationship to yeah, to nature. I don't know if I relate to her. I want to be more like her. <laughs> but yeah. Braiding Sweetgrass by uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer. Okay. We'll put yeah. that in the show notes. Okay. Dee Dee, here's one for you. What's one place that you'd want to go back to or spend more time in? Oh, in like time or space or place? Yeah, a place. So what's a place that you visited that you'd want to return to or a place that you'd want to just kind of spend more time? I think my mother's childhood home in the Philippines. Oh, the last yeah. time I was there was 1989. That was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I would love to spend more time there. Yeah, that sounds like it'd be a gift. Is she still around your mom? Yes, she is. And they're they're actually going back to the Philippines here in a, in a few weeks. Look at that. Um, and they'll spend time there. Yeah, that's great. Which I'm very jealous. So speaking of moms, we ask everybody this. We can start with you, Didi. What is your favorite mom dish? Oh, this is really good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she makes a garlic. Uh, hot wing, <laughs> fried fried chicken wing um, that yeah. I asked for uh, on my birthday. And she would make vats and vats and vats of it. And I would eat them all. Yum. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. And you, Sonia? So actually, my mom has, before she met my dad, she took up Indian cooking. Mm -hmm. And I would say her alu ghost is my absolute 
favorite. And because of her German roots, I think there's some overlap between, you know, like a potato stew mm. and this, you know, it it's like a meat curry, but it she I don't know. It to me it's like the perfect combination of both cultures in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. That sounds so yummy. Mm-hmm. And then final question. What does being a modern minority mean to you? I think it means for me being authentically myself and not having to minimize or restructure who I am for other people. That's great. And how about you, Didi? I I think if I were to sum it up maybe in just one word, I I think it would be to be unafraid. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I love that. Well, you guys, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so, so much for being here with us today. We're going to make sure everybody knows about what you guys are doing on Broadway and we'll drop in, um, we'll drop in anything you've mentioned in terms of books that you've loved or movies that you've loved in the show notes. Thanks so much for, for your time today, Didi and Sonia. Thank you. Thank you. This has been wonderful. You've been such a great conversation starter. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us. Hi, mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. I've been Raman Segal. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.